You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And uh, no, Genesis is not Ephesians. Um, I know that I said last week that we would start a new series this morning, uh, looking together at the book of Ephesians, but we're going to delay that one week. Um, last, uh, last week, how many, of you, how many of you were at our Awana Grand Prix, Grand Prix last week? Okay, so a few of you, um, some of you who were not, um, I'm sure that you know what took place. There was a uh, tornado, some bad weather, multiple tornadoes that went past I went through this past weekend, um, uh, last Sunday afternoon, and not just us, but in, up into Alabama. And uh, as you as you look across um, all of the southeast, there's all kinds of stories and reports of damage. Um, we were here having our Awana Grand Prix and uh, all gathered together in the fellowship hall and all these kids sitting all over the place, all over the floor, kind of like this, but but probably twice as many kids. I think we had like 50 people registered, 50 children registered for um, racing a car. Um, and then we had maybe 25 adults, would you say, somewhere, somewhere in there, Robert, would you say about 25 adults maybe on top of that, um, all gathered together in the fellowship hall. And I had no idea what was going on. I'm registering kids and there's chaos. And uh, if you've been in our fellowship hall during any kind of event, you know it's loud um, and you really can't quite make heads or tails of what's going on. Um, but at the end of the day, we had all kinds of, of children in there, um, and Caleb comes to me and shows me his phone, and there's a tornado warning on his phone, and I, that's all I could read off of it as quickly as, um, as I did, and uh, said, hey, there, we, we may have to maybe move in these kids. And I said, okay, all right, well, and, you know, I just kind of blew it off. You know, every one of us have been in a tornado warning before. We, we know kind of what it looks like. Um, normally, it's just one of those things. Well... Uh, he came to me a few seconds later, probably is what it felt like, and said, uh, no, we've got to move these kids now. And in the next 15 minutes, we moved all of those children as well as adults down here to our nursery and packed in about 80 people or so, 75, 80 people, in that one itty-bitty room toward the check-in desk here, that one little itty-bitty space. And, um, and our kids just began to sing. Um, I got that, I got that uh, uh, God, what is it? I can't even say it. I got that. Old church choir singing in my soul, yeah. And, um, and so they were singing back here and, and, and just, just worshiping the Lord, and uh, we can't hardly get doors open. Um, and it's just, it's just a mess. Um, so we get, I get up the next morning, and I go and I drive around, and I look um, at all of the, the storm and the damage, and, and I just want you to know we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. Um, um, I want to say publicly thank you to our Awana leadership, particularly Caleb, uh, for keeping his eye on that thing and keeping the safety of our children 
um, as, a, as a high priority. And Melinda, who just responded as if uh, everything was going as planned. Um, we had all kind of hiccups with the software for the, for the Grand Prix, but it was as if everything just went off without a hitch. And we've just got some great leadership, and I'm thankful for that. Um, and I praise God for that. But I want you to know how close that thing came to us. Um, I'm going to try to do something here if I can. Um, after taking the pictures of where the tornado crossed, all these points you can, you can kind of see on the map, the, the middle school being the top right and uh, the, 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 around Corbin Ganey being the, the bottom. But I want you to see just how close that thing came to us. The distance from here to here is only about three-quarters of a mile. Our God is so good that he would protect us from that thing. All of these children packed into a small room. And I just, I'm just reminded of how sovereign our God is and how in control he is. And yet, even as we think about the storms, you think about north of us. North of us, there were families that were killed. In fact, we have a story, talked to a first responder this, in the middle of the week this week. There's a story of an entire family of seven that was killed together. Um, there's two that moved actually from Panama City area in order to get away from Michael, and they were killed in, in the, the tornadoes that were in, there in Alabama. And so you just, you just never know what our lives hold, but God is absolutely sovereign over all of these things. And, and you can't explain why God would allow one bad thing to happen to one person, and yet He would protect an entire group of people over here. You, you can't explain those things. Different situations all this week, uh, other than storms, have showed us that. Different situations people are walking through and, and we can go across this room and just name just a hundred different situations probably where these kinds of things are, are true. And, and it just moved me to remind us of some things this morning. Things that I, I think we need a reminder of often. Moses was told to go to Pharaoh and told him to let the people go. And, and God had already told him that it wasn't going to happen. And when he went to let the people go, even immediately the people began to complain because things got worse for them. And Moses had to be reminded, I am the Lord. And I think we need that reminder often of who God is in our lives. And in particular this morning, God's sovereignty and our suffering. So if you found your place in Genesis 50, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Genesis 50, and look with me at verse 15. Should be a familiar story, or at least somewhat familiar, maybe not the part of the story that you remember though. Genesis 50 and verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I 
in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that through your word this morning, you would comfort us. God, it is a temptation that each and every one of us have to look at the circumstances around us and measure our lives by the things that we go through. Lord, we know that there is rain that falls on the just and the unjust. Suffering in our lives is just a part of this fallen world and in a sense even greater than that and more purposeful than that. You are doing some things in our lives through our suffering that could not happen otherwise. And so I pray that you would help us even in the midst of great suffering, great hardship and some very painful circumstances. Would we recognize this morning your sovereignty, that you are in control and that nothing happens without it happening by your plan and by your will. And so we trust you today. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you that it was your will to save. And there may be someone here in this room this morning who's never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe they've been in church all their life. Maybe they've not been in church very long. But at the end of the day, all of us are in need of a Savior. And so I pray that today they would call upon you. Call upon your mercy and your grace. And that today you would save them. And you would do so for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. So real quick, I mean, we've we've got a whole lot of story that we just skipped over and left behind us. We we fast-forwarded to the very end of the story. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't, uh, in my mind, make for a good story when we know the end uh, and then we have to kind of pick up the details later on. Uh, but this is the way we're seeing it this morning. And so the story of Joseph, you know, there was uh, this this brother who was the favorite. Uh, his father said, this is my son and I, I love this son and I'm going to give this son everything. And ultimately he gave him, how many of you know the story, the coat of many colors. Yeah, that story we've probably heard growing up all of our life. The brothers got jealous of this code and, and their brother. He was the favorite child. And so he, he goes and all the brothers plan and they, they throw him into a pit to try to dis- determine what they're going to do with him. Ultimately, they take him out of the pit and they sell him into slavery. This caravan that's going into Egypt. Joseph is now, who once was the favorite brother, is now a, an Egyptian slave. And, and he goes off and he begins to serve the Egyptian people. Uh, the, the slave owner, the, the one who saw him, said this is a man who serves the Lord. And, and he, wanted to, he wanted to make sure that, 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 um, that the man, Joseph, was in, in good graces with him. And, and so he puts him over his household, in charge of his household. We know the story goes on uh, that he, he served there for a little while. And then the man's wife, uh, the man's name was Potiphar, and the man's wife uh, began to seduce Joseph and, and then eventually framed him for uh, being, being, uh, causing her unfaithfulness. And, and yet she was trying to get him to come in and lie with her. Well, Potiphar gets mad, puts him back into prison, and he begins to serve there as a, as a, as a slave again. 
And then there's these two people that come in, a cupbearer and a, and a baker, and, and they're in the midst of this prison. Well, it was Pharaoh's men of his palace that were there in prison, and they had a dream while they were in prison. And Joseph interprets that dream, a, a gift that God has given him, and he says, remember me when you come to Pharaoh. And he comes to Pharaoh, and when he gets, or the, the cupbearer and the, and the baker come to Pharaoh, when they get before Pharaoh, they forget all about Joseph. And it's another two years before Joseph is remembered. But they remember him. He comes and he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, eventually put over the entire house, the entire kingdom. Pharaoh wants him to be in charge of those things. If nothing more, than he just wants the blessing of the Hebrew God over the Egyptian people. So he places him in charge. Joseph uh, tells Pharaoh in his dream that there's going to be a famine in the land and, and he wants Joseph, Pharaoh wants Joseph to take care of the food and make sure people have food during this time, during this famine. And it so happens that his brothers and his father were hungry as well. The famine struck the entire land and the brothers are sent on to Egypt. The story goes on and after a long story of the brothers going back and forth and back and forth, the father eventually coming with them, the younger brother Benjamin eventually coming with them, it's revealed that Joseph is their brother. And just when you think the story is about to unleash holy fury against all of those brothers, they're about to be enslaved, imprisoned, and get exactly what they deserve. Joseph forgives them. And he remains at that place until he dies, and ultimately a new king takes over. And so you have the story of jealousy, you have the story of pride, but ultimately the story of God rewarding faithfulness. All of the while, Joseph probably wondering, what is God going to do next? Anybody ever been there? You feel like in your life that there are things that just don't add up and you can't figure out why God would allow this to happen. You've done everything that you could do possibly right, and yet God doesn't reward faithfulness with a position or a, a blessing in, in a positive physical sense as you would think, but rather suffering comes in your life. But if you read the story knowing the end from the beginning as God knew, which we're privy to this morning, then you know that all the way through the process, God was setting up every single step of the process in order to do in Joseph's life what he would not otherwise do in any other way. God was doing something perfect and flawless and He was working it for Joseph's good and ultimately the good of the Egyptian people and the good of His people. And I want you to hear me this morning. Hear the truth of this passage. No matter what suffering you find yourself in, God is sovereign over the suffering of His people. God is sovereign over the suffering of His people. Now, Curtis asked me Wednesday night, stopped me and said, what does the word sovereignty mean? What does it mean when God is sovereign? And I shared with Curtis this week that it means for God to be in absolute and supreme and pervasive and total control over all things and bear absolute authority over those things. Never can God's control be taken from Him because He bears authority over all things. He is supreme over all. We often refer to kings as sovereign. And yet there is a king of all kings. Amen? 
King Jesus who is sovereign over all things. There is nothing in your life, whether bad or good, that God is not in full control and authority over. Is sovereign. And that includes the suffering in our lives. For Joseph, that means that he, every step of the way, that God had the process under his complete control. Life is not a roll of the dice. Life is guided by God Almighty. That means that the tornado that came through here this past week and split the difference between us and another church and came through to Funak Springs and best as I could tell, caused very little damage. Almost no structural damage. One sign out on 331 and the middle school had some, had some things knocked over. But beyond that, best as I understand at this point, absolutely no physical damage but trees down everywhere. God absolutely guided that tornado from beginning to end. And our safety is a result of what God did in our lives. And the same is true for your personal suffering. Whatever you find yourself enduring, you're enduring it. Because God Almighty has guided your life to this very moment. We try to control so much of our life, don't we? How many of you have a control issue in your life? I, I do. I want to I make sure everything fits. I, I'm a fixer. Like, I want to make sure that, you know, if something goes wrong, that I can find some way to, to, to fix it for, for me and for all those involved. And, you know, if, if there's a, a mistake on the PowerPoint, y'all, I just go nuts. I want to go back there and fix it, right? I want to make sure everything is under control. Or, or if my kids have some kind of a bad day or some bully at school, I want to go fix it, right? I want to, I want to make sure I rise to the occasion. Uh, we had some parents at the Little League field yesterday that want to fix it um, because there's a whole bunch of back and forth on one of the fields. But we, we want to fix things. We want to be in control. But those are the things, and don't, don't miss this, those are the things that we see and that we know. Do you know that God is doing billions of things both in your life and the lives of billions of people on the planet and in billions of places in the universe? God is doing billions of things every second that you have no knowledge of. He's doing things that are far outside of your knowledge. Even if you knew about it, you couldn't do anything about it and yet He's controlling them. And so who are we to think that God would not control the things that, that we know about it? May I suggest to you this morning that what if suffering is actually the plan of God in order that we might fulfill His purpose in our lives? By the way, in ways that never would have been fulfilled otherwise. What if it is the plan? What if whatever you're going through or whatever you went through or whatever you're about to go through, what if that's not something to avoid at all? What if it's not something to just hold on to and hope you can make it through? What if suffering itself is not a burden? What if suffering, the suffering that God brings in our lives, what if it's actually the blessing of God? What if suffering itself is the goodness of God and a thing not to be, to be hated or to be avoided, but rather to be embraced because otherwise we would forfeit something that God wants to do in our lives. What if that's the case? 
There are three very important words in this passage that you should underline. God meant it. God meant it. We tend to do one of two things in our suffering, don't we? Maybe we tend to blame God. Well, it's God's fault that I'm going through this. And and we get angry at God or maybe even begin to hate God and get frustrated with Him not offering us any hope. We blame Him. Or sometimes we want to give God a lesser role in it. Like God is not the author of this. This is something else altogether and He's going to keep me until I get to the other side. But in reality, based on the authority of this passage, hear me very carefully this morning. It is God's fault. Because the text says He meant it. But Him meaning it in your life is not a negative thing, nor does it make Him guilty of any sin. Because the text says He meant it for something. He is sovereign over that thing that's happening. So He steered the the heart of the brothers of Joseph. He placed Joseph in the path of Potiphar's wife. He put the cupbearer and the cake maker in prison with Joseph, ultimately, even though it was Pharaoh's act to do that. And he gave them those dreams, all because he meant something. You see, God is doing millions of things every day in our lives that we don't have a clue about. And he's doing it with great intention. Intention. So what are some of the things that God is doing in our lives? What is it that He means to do? It isn't just meaningless pain and meaningless hardship and meaningless problems and suffering that that God brings in our life. He means something by them. So what is it then that He means by them? Well, the text tells us in five different ways ways. Five different things that Joseph says God is doing in his life in Joseph's suffering. So in our suffering, number one, God is sovereignly displaying his power. In our suffering, God is sovereignly displaying his power. Notice it there, verse 19. We've seen the backstory where the Joseph's brothers come in and, and they're afraid that Joseph is going to do something to, to them now that, now that the father is, is gone on and, and he's with the Lord, that now Joseph is going to unleash his wrath. And, and Joseph says, don't fear. He says in verse 19, don't fear, for am I in the place of God? An incredible question. Am I in the place of God? This is a question you should ask yourself in terms of your suffering and your hardship. Are you in the place of God? There is no doubt in this story. When you get to the end, there is no doubt about the answer to that question, is there? As you read through the story of Joseph, at the end of the story, the favoritism of the father... 
The favoritism of Jacob over his uh, of his son over the other over and above the other sons that was not ultimately in control. At the end of the story, the the jealousy of the brothers was not ultimately in control. Amen. At the end of the story, the famine in the land was not ultimately in control. At the end of the story, the Pharaoh was not ultimately in control. And at the end of the story, not even humble Joseph, who stood before and ruled all of the land, not even Joseph was fully in control. And not, on, not, not even Joseph could make the claim, I stand in the position of God. He's asking a rhetorical question in order to make the point that God is God alone. All of his suffering, all of the hardship at the end of the story reveals that God is God alone. In fact, if you read on, the first part of Exodus picks up that same theme and runs it through. A, a new king came into Egypt after Joseph died. And this is the Pharaoh we know that would not let God's people go. We have our kids sing a song about that often. This is that very Pharaoh. And it took ten massive plagues ultimately for it to happen. You see, there is a battle for lordship in our lives. Don't miss this. There is a battle for lordship. Either Christ is going to sit on the throne and He's going to reign supremely over our heart and our lives, or we're going to try to take the throne, even in futility, we're going to try to take the throne from Him. And sit on the throne of our lives. Either God reigns supreme or we try to reign supreme. And oftentimes the battle we take in our own hands. And and Joseph is saying, "Do, do I have the right to be harsh with you? If he were to have taken matters into his own hands, it would have been to stand in the place of God. It would have been an attempt to usurp or even overthrow the one who ultimately is sovereign. How many of you have ever found yourself in that that very battle, wanting to take the control from what God rightly deserves? Suffering reminds us that we have no power at all in our lives. Suffering reminds us that there is only one supreme power at work in our life. Only one who reigns. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of His power often. There's two passages that come to mind in the New Testament. The first is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul writes, but we have this treasure. He's speaking of the gospel and he, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Then he goes on to tell us that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, and on and on and on. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. We we need to be kept humble and reminded of who is in charge of our lives. Paul goes on to write toward the end of 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited. I I don't know about you all, but that resonates with me. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in my flesh. 
a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Listen to these words. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's where I want to be. I want to be reminded that I cannot stop a tornado, nor can I stop or do, do different in my life what God has planned and what God has ordained. So may I align my life with His, humbling myself before the Maker of the universe, my own Maker, and make myself His vessel. I want to be weak that Christ's power might rest upon me. Remind me, Lord. So when suffering comes, we are reminded that He is sovereignly displaying His power. Secondly, when our suffering comes, God is sovereignly bringing about our good. Sovereignly bringing about our good. This is, this is so good. Verse 20, He says, As for you, you meant it. Uh, you meant evil against me. But notice what he says. But God meant it for good. Praise the Lord. Amen. God meant it for good. There is no doubt about what the first part of that statement means, is there? If you, if you know the story, you know that Joseph's brothers were some mean jokers. I mean, just some mean jokers. Anybody, kids, y'all want a brother or sister like that, that that sells you into slavery? I mean, there's no doubt about what that means, right? There's no doubt about it. I don't want I don't want that kind of a brother, that kind of a sister that would sell me into slavery. We know that their intent was evil and, and mean-spirited and premeditated and conniving and deceitful and and they intended and they had they had a purpose to that it it wasn't something that was thoughtless just spur of the moment it was planned and constructed but what is strange what is strange is that we have a hard time making sense of the second statement the second part of the statement it's constructed grammatically in the same way don't miss that You meant for evil, but God meant it for my good. The same measure of intentionality that the brothers sold the the brother Joseph into slavery for or with, that same measure of intentionality God uses when He meant the same action for Joseph's good. We tend to place God in a position that's not that. We tend to place God in the position of cleanup man. Think about it. God will use this circumstance for my good. Somehow we, we, we say that yes, this bad thing is happening, but, but God is going to take a mess and turn it into a miracle. And on the back side of the story, what was so ugly, God is going to make a, a way and He's going to create something beautiful out of something that's not. So, so God's the cleanup man after all the mess is made. Or sometimes we tend to make God the junkyard artist. To take what is, what is a mess, this mess that we've made in our lives, and God ultimately bringing something good out of my suffering. 
That he's somehow making making this suffering, which is a bad thing. He's causing something beautiful to rise up from the middle of it, leaving the mess behind. But that's not what the passage says. In some way, the brothers, what they meant for evil, God meant that suffering for good. It was premeditated, planned, intended, sovereignly ordained that it happen. That means that when believers go through suffering, the suffering itself, don't miss this, the suffering itself is the goodness of God in our lives. God is actually using the suffering to do good in our lives. It is the tool. It's the goodness of God on display. And God intends to do the the very thing for the believer that is both good and right. And it's so huge because this is not generally the way that we see our suffering in our lives. Don't we? We see our suffering as something to be avoided at all costs. We see our suffering as something that's like the punishment of God. Like, this isn't what God intends. We see the the suffering in our lives as if it's something to endure, to get to the other side, so that we can find the better stuff there. Like, we just got to make it to heaven somehow. That's often the way that we view our suffering. And and although all of those things are and can be true in a certain sense, they are not fundamentally what God is doing Through our suffering, God means to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. God means to bring us to trial and pain and hardship. Why? Not because He's a mean, hateful, cosmic force in the universe trying to make us as miserable as possible. That because by giving us suffering in our lives, He is actually leading us to a good that comes from it that would not have otherwise happened. He's doing good for us. We claim this promise often. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, you can almost complete this. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. But don't miss it. That truth is tied to verse 29 and 30. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. That means suffering and pain and good times in your life All of those things ordained by God before the very foundation of the earth. Everything in your life ordered and guided by Him. And He's working your good. Number three, when God brings suffering in our life, He is sovereignly redeeming His people. Sovereignly redeeming His people. I love what verse 10 says. To bring, or rather... But God meant it for good, now watch this, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are this day. That many people should be kept alive. So think about it. All of these people, the the famine was coming. That was all part of the process. 
So God orchestrates this whole thing where Joseph gets thrown into slavery, which leads to his leading over the people of Egypt. Pharaoh wasn't going to do nothing about the, about the famine. All he was concerned was about, about making money off of those things that they were getting rid of. But, but Joseph comes in and says, let me help you preserve this so that you will have life through the food that is provided. I want to make this statement to you, and I, I hope that this rings. God chose to save thousands through the enslaving of one man. God chose to save thousands through the enslaving of one man, Joseph. And he would do it again, wouldn't he? Fast forward to the New Testament. Oh, God chose the foolishness of the cross to save all who would believe. God chose to save all people through one man. Salvation offered to the world. That they might trust in Christ and be saved. The reality of the suffering of Joseph points to the suffering of Jesus. That you and I through His suffering can be born again through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If we would just follow Him, trust in Him, repent of sin and believe the Gospel, you and I seeing that Gospel could be saved. And yet even as we follow Jesus... Who are we to think that Jesus who left us a pattern that we should follow should not be used in this process? Oh, look at this believer. You get the chance through your suffering to not even know what God is doing in the lives of thousands of people because of your suffering. In the lives of hundreds upon thousands of people, God is doing things because you're having to walk through a difficult time. We, we tend to get such a narrow view of our valley. The valley feels so deep. But apart from the, the grace of God and, and a deep love for His kingdom, we will miss what God is doing in our valley. Alistair Begg said, The sovereignty of God in our lives is best understood not through the windshield, but through the rearview mirror. And if you could only see, if you could only see the hundreds upon hundreds and thousands of things that God is doing through your life, sometimes the bigger things that God is doing in our lives, the things we can't see, those are the things that take faith. So how is God using you, believer, in His kingdom work as a result of the suffering you walk through. If we had time this morning, I'd tell you the story about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, two missionaries, the one who goes and gives his life in, in the, on the, the shores of Ecuador. Jim Elliot gives his life for the sake of the Gospel. And he, he dies. He doesn't even get to share his faith with them. doesn't fire off a shot. All of his comrades killed. And then Elizabeth decides by the grace of God, that she's going to be back, go back and serve. And I think it's something like 20 years she goes and serves the people who murdered her husband in order to share the gospel with them. We, we don't know what God is doing through our lives. Matthew 5 talks about loving our enemies and doing good to those who persecute us. For the sake of time, let's just get through these, second, these last two. And I want to bring this to a close this morning. Number four. God is sovereignly providing for our needs. Notice there verse 21. Joseph says, I will provide for you and your little ones. The irony in that statement. 
It's Joseph that should be provided for. He was the one who was hurt and abused, and yet they're not getting what they justly deserve. They've received the grace that came from their brother. We know that there was a moment of repentance. You just go back and read the story. There was a moment. This wasn't cheap grace. It was a grace that came because they repented as well. And yet, it wasn't ultimately Joseph that was providing for them. It was God. God, who is the only sovereign, was setting the whole thing up. Even such a a grand mistake that they made. With their repentance, God was loving them and bringing them back into a right relationship with, with Him. Same kind of action as what Jesus does at the cross. They were seeking to crucify Jesus and yet Jesus loves them amidst their sin. And He does the same thing for us today. Even amidst all of our unfaithfulness and all of our wrongs and all of our rebellion against the Holy God, through His loving kindness, He is leading us to repentance. And He's providing for our every need. It's an opportunity when you walk through suffering. To watch God provide for your needs, isn't it, Curtis? It's a great opportunity. You don't get to see that like that if you're not walking through suffering. In those moments where you got nothing and no answers and only God provides. And so see this kindness of the Lord. Just as a side message, Luke tells us, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke, but I say to you, Love your enemies and do good, though, do good to those who hate you. What Joseph was doing is something you and I should also exhibit in our lives. Here's the last thing. This is the last thing that we see Joseph saying to his brothers. Number five, God is sovereignly comforting His people. God is sovereignly comforting His people. Twice in the passage, you'll see them. Verse 19, verse 21, Joseph says, Do not fear. They had every right to be afraid solely based upon what they had done. I want every eye to look at me this morning. You and I need to understand something. It is a terrifying thing to to fall into the hands of a holy God. We deserve God's wrath for our sin. At the end of the day, you and I ought to be terrified before a holy God were it not for Christ. And because we are believers, because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, if you know Jesus this morning, you no longer stand in terror because of a holy God, but rather in reverent fear of a loving Father. We get that transition. And this is what you and I get to experience amidst our suffering. The the comfort that God brings. In fact, this is what is narrated for us at the end of verse 21. Thus He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God has been so kind to us. Anything good that we have, anything good, is because God has given it. And I want you to hear me say this morning that God loves to comfort His people. So many times, comfort, speak comfort, comfort the church, comfort, comfort. He loves to bring comfort. In fact, He loves it so much that not only did He give His Son to forgive our sin, but He left us His very presence in order to be our Comforter. Our God wants to comfort us. And that tells us this, 
That pain is real. It cannot be glossed over. It cannot be ignored. Whatever thing that you're going through or that you've been through or whatever thing you face in the future, know this, that your pain is real and it is legitimate. But there is a God who is the God of all comfort who loves you deeply and gave His Son for you and has placed His Spirit in you in order that you might go on serving Him with your life. Well, some of you this morning are right in the midst of that suffering. Right in the midst of the hardship, the pain. And I don't know what it is that you're going through. And maybe a lot of people in this room don't know what you're walking through. Maybe some of them do. And there's been groups praying over different needs. I I could just make a list for you of ways that we've been in relationship with one another and serving one another and encouraging one another. And, And that thrills my heart as a pastor to watch that happen. But there is only one response to a God who is sovereign. It's not to try to fix it. It's not to try to work it out or, or try to cover it up or any of those things because God is sovereign. The only response that we can have is the same response that just a few chapters later in Exodus that God told the people when they were up against their Red Sea with nowhere to turn and no answers. Listen to what he said. We'll close. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Listen to verse 14. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Are you silent before the Lord? Are you still? Do you come before His cross this morning knowing that your only hope is Jesus Christ? that you really have nowhere else to turn, that God alone is working in your life. Have you you trusted Him in that way? You see, that's what it means to be saved. It's what it means to follow Jesus with our lives. It means that that we die to ourselves and that we take up our cross and that we follow Jesus. It's not a, a prayer or religious act. It's not a, a dunking in a, in a pool. It, all of those things are just a part of expressing what takes place in the life of a, of a person who comes to the end of themselves and trusts upon Christ. So have you ever done that? Surrendered. Let Him be on the throne and stop trying to push Him off that happened for you. You'd say, Pastor, that's never happened to me. I want to encourage you in just a few moments when we stand to step out of the place where you'll be standing and to come down this aisle and say, today I want to receive Jesus. Today I I want to submit to Him in my life. I want Him to be my King. And I'll help you. The Bible says if we'll turn away from our sin and we'll call upon the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. That's good news today. That's good news today because when that happens in your life, you receive all of these other benefits we've been talking about. God reigning for your good and and for His glory. 
What about you, believer? You're in this room and you've been trying to fix it. Come up with the answers. Measure it. Come up with a process that you can make it all go away. I I don't know what you've been doing. But have you been trusting the Lord? Are you quiet before the Lord? Are you still? Are you patient? He's sovereign anyway. All that you're doing is just acting in futility. Would you surrender today? And say, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do in my life. I don't know what the end looks like. I I don't know what it looks like in Egypt. But I know what it looks like right now. And today I surrender. And I trust you. Even though it's painful. I know that you're working all things together for my good. Because I love you. And you have called me according to your purpose. I want to encourage you to make that your prayer today. All across the room we're standing. I'm going to pray. The altar is open. And now is the time to come. Lord, have your way in this place, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.